0: Hey, Real Talkers, Canada's plummeting in global rankings of gender parity in politics. Talented women are walking away from elected office. MP Leslyn Lewis is backing a conspiracy theory involving vaccines, sex ed, and the United Nations. Nobody appears to have a solution to the housing crisis. And, oh yeah, BC politicians are all up in arms after receiving shrooms in the mail. Why is nobody talking about this? We connect with two of Canada's most to-the-point Political commentators in this episode of Real Talk.
1: This is a relay project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: In this episode of Real Talk, White. Nothing ever changes, quite frankly. Sabrina Devedi just uh, in just a second, on her new Chatelaine piece, a long-form feature on why Canadian politics is still unsafe for female politicians. Interesting writing. From Sapria, no surprise there But some of the most high profile politicians in Canada She sits down with, she talks with On the record and they're saying to her We don't want this piece to come across as this Or I've already done 150 interviews about that And nothing ever changes And so we're going to find out why What drives these, and not just online trolls not, But people that are legitimately threatening People that are legitimately uh, taking physical action When it comes to like de- defacing property, vandalizing Uh, Passing along threats, credible threats, forcing some people out of politics that have bright careers ahead of them, dissuading some people from becoming involved in politics in the first place, and this probably isn't limited to just the political arena either, right? We're also going to get into your comments. I'll pick Sapria's brain on this. Obviously, about MP Dr. Leslie Lewis's support or endorsement of a petition calling for Canada to leave the UN. It it really is a little bit nuts when you start getting into the wording of the petition and then you learn a little bit more about the guy that actually drafted it, the author of the petition and you realize how off the rails this is. The real question is, does it pose or present a problem that Pierre Polyev didn't already have or hasn't already navigated? Uh, We'll get into that today, and I'll put that in front of Mo Amir, who's going to join us as well. He's the host of This Is Van Color on Check, you know. He'll join us from Vancouver in the second half of the show. He's also going to explain to us why landlord Pierre Polyev won't lower your rent You know, if an election was being held this week, you know what the polling suggests. The polling shows that Pierre Polyev would be the next prime minister of Canada. And if you ask a bunch of his supporters or would-be supporters why, it's because they believe that he and the conservatives are the party best equipped to help you deal with the affordability crisis. But is that actually the case? Mo's going to take that on. Before we go any further, I have a specific message for people that are looking this morning to get the industry's best safety training. If this is your wheelhouse, if this is what you manage on behalf of your company, you need to know that Danatech has been Alberta's safety training leader for more than 30 years. Their courses are designed by actual experts with real on-the-job expertise and experience, so the courses are actually going to make a difference on your job site. You're going to save lost time, injuries, stay compliant with changing regulations, save money on training with Danatech. Big companies across the country are using Danatech's WMIS, TDG, electrical and lifting device courses for good reason, and they've got a catalog, as you'll see on their website, of more than 150 courses across industry Visit Danatech.com to learn more and find out about bulk discounts. Supriya Devedi is a uh, nationally recognized broadcaster, pundit. Of course, you've read her words in uh, national publications across the country, including... Chatelaine, uh, where her most recent piece is featured at Chatelaine.com You know her as the co-host of Seriously You see her on Power & Politics and of course a wonderful friend of this show, Supriya, it's wonderful to have you back Happy New Year to you, why don't you take us right into this piece, you sit down with Michelle Rempel-Garner a fiery, experienced savvy, outspoken confident MP out of Calgary and White range, she starts talking to you about what she doesn't want this interview to come across as
2: yeah i mean to be fair i think um michelle in particular has uh, done this interview or this type of interview a bunch right so i mean one of the main things that she made clear right from the jump is that she wanted the piece or you know our interview and what i would take away from the interview to sort of focus on the solutions because we it's almost like we keep sort of highlighting this problem right that um online harassment and hate and abuse particularly as it pertains to female politicians uh is a problem and i think everybody agrees it's a problem but you you know it's almost like that uh episode of the simpsons where they do a flashback of ned flanders parents and it's like oh we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas and that's kind of how canadians um sort of react to when we're talking about online hate and you know the reality is there's a number of things we can do, and we're just not
0: doing them. What was it that, I mean, aside from, you, you've you shared with us in past, your personal experiences as a, a morning radio host on AM640 in Toronto, about three years ago, well, coming up, I guess four years ago now, you resigned from that job uh, because of some of the personal uh, experiences that you were having, horrific stuff being passed along by listeners, and, and I don't speak for you, you've said it yourself in past interviews, you didn't feel like you were getting the support that you needed from the company that was employing you at the time, so you have a first-hand understanding of what this is like but why write the piece now
2: Yeah it's a good question so to be honest um it's not like I I came up with the idea for the piece to begin with I was approached by uh, an editor at chatelaine um this would have been in like late 2022 um I had actually filed the piece uh in December of 2022 but of course as the listeners probably are aware. In in January of 2023, uh, my husband Anoop was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, and then he passed away in July. So I stepped away from the piece, and then only really got back into it, um, you know, late into this year, and then it was uh, published in in January. So this piece has been a long time coming, and I think uh, Erica Lenti, the editor at Chatelaine, who had reached out to me, um, you know, knew about my own personal experiences, and she knew about the work that I was doing. Um, at McGill, uh, at the Center for Media Technology and Democracy, where I do a lot of work I- in terms of uh, dis and misinformation, uh, and just like the way our online ecosystem and our larger online platforms are, so- are set up and designed to kind of push people to, uh, you know, behave in ways or act in ways online that they wouldn't necessarily do um, in public. And I think in that needs to change Or IRL is what I mean, you know,
0: like, yeah, this is, it's, it's the type of situation where you're writing the piece over a a period of time and you sort of wish that the piece would have been rendered irrelevant and obsolete. Like you never would have finished reading it because Canada would have figured it out. Um, but we look at this and we say, okay, well, whose job is this? to figure out like uh, d- it starts in the home with parents talking to their kids about the appropriate way to treat other people. It starts with legislation and crackdowns. It starts with policing on threats. It's so- like where, how do you, I mean, you can approach this from a million different directions, right? We talk about online hate and harms. It's uh it's something that it's an issue that for sure, we're talking about politics here, but it's pervasive and prevalent everywhere.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, one of the main things we need to, Wrap our brains around is that often when we talk about online abuse or threats, um, people tend to think it's just like mean tweets. First of all, right? And it's not just like mean tweets picking on people. It these are it's actual you know threatening behavior. Um, a lot of the time, threats of violence. A lot of the time, it, it would you know it crosses into the threshold of being uh, harassment from like a criminal standpoint, and yet we we don't tend to to do anything about it, and and it's. It, you know, this has all sorts of implications. And you, and you started this off by saying, of course, it's not just politicians and it's not just politicians. It's really anybody who's in the public light. It's just that politicians can't really opt out of being in the public light. Right. Like it's being public as a whole and being accessible is a big part of the gig. And, um, you know, online spaces in particular, you're right. It does start in the home. Parents talking to their kids. But I think we also need to talk about the way these online platforms are structured and designed so that, you know, some of the more harmful and extremist content kind of gets prioritized over some of the more mundane, um, you know, regular content that you'd see. And we certainly see this with uh, the way, um, you know, uh, Twitter X's algorithm uh, tends to work. We've certainly see this in the way um, YouTube's recommendations tend to work. They tend to push you towards more um, extremist content. And I mean, Facebook's own internal reporting has shown that um, it tends to prioritize more divisive or harmful content as as well. So that's um, a problem. Big tech knows it's a problem. And so we should probably do something about it.
0: Yeah. It, Canada, like internationally, and you cite this in your piece, Shadalane.com, Canada sliding from 56th in the world, Uh, for gender parity in politics uh, three years ago, uh, now to 61st. So we're moving in the wrong direction. A lot of people, I think, would be accustomed to or would assume that Canada would be ranked like top 10 in the world for all the things that matter. And it might be a little bit surprised to hear that Canada ranks 61st when it comes to gender parity in politics. Is it oversimplifying it to simply say that the average woman in Canada goes, why in the hell would I get involved with this?
2: No, I mean, I don't think so. I don't know why, you know, and like, of course, I I know why, I guess it's a dumb thing. I know why people are attracted to politics. I know why people want to serve. But if you're being approached by, let's say, um, one of the major parties, and they're asking you to run, I mean, that's a serious thing for you to consider is if you actually want to deal with the kind of bullshit that, you know, politicians have to put up with regularly. And, I, I don't know. Speaking from my own experience, um, I, I can say that receiving threats and not—it's one thing when it's when it's about you, right? It's one thing if it's like d- directed at you. Once they start targeting your your family, and once they start targeting your your kids, I mean, and not being sure that you'll be able to keep your kids or your family safe in public because of you know a career choice that you've made—that's a really I don't know. It's a. It's like a, a really messed up place to to be, and it can do a number on you. And it's like I I I don't know why anybody would would really want to put themselves willingly into that situation. I, I'm glad they do, um, and I'm glad, particularly in speaking to these women, they were so adamant and so determined about um, the good that they can do, and you know the public service and what they can do for their constituents and their communities that it was very, you know, uplifting and, and incredibly inspiring. But we, we've we got to make the, the environment, I think, a little bit more welcoming for for female politicians. And, you know, I, I guess politicians just across the board more generally.
0: We're, we're not just talking about like, you know, you think of like these old movies where everyone's like cutting the letters out of the headlines in magazines to put together those ransom note type things like anonymous emails from burner accounts. I mean, you, you reference a tweet Uh, just a couple of months old, from former leader of the official opposition. The guy was almost prime minister, Andrew Scheer, uh, who references Justin Trudeau and and talking about a carbon tax carve-out that he's preventing farmers from. This is that whole Atlantic Canada heating oil thing. We talked about it a lot on the show. And there's every reason for the official opposition to dig in on the Trudeau government's approach to the carbon tax and disparity across the country, based on as far as we can tell geography, there's every reason for opposition politicians to make hay with this story, but this one crosses a line and you write about it. Why don't you talk to us about where and why this tweet from Andrew Scheer crosses the line?
2: Well, I mean, it crossed the line because of the way the tweet was sort of designed, right? It's like designed as like an old timey wanted poster um, and it's I don't like I'm not sure what Mr. Sheer expected to happen when they tweeted that out with the Senator's pictures and their office contact information. Like clearly, they were looking to get their, you know, his supporters and you know, CPC supporters, I suppose, more generally um, to contact um, those two Senators. And, you know, you can't exactly whip people into a frenzy and then act all shocked and surprised when the people act in a frenzied way. And the conservatives and Mr. Shear knew exactly what they were doing when they when they put this out. And, you know, the fact that one of those senators had to leave their home because they felt unsafe, um, I think, speaks to the environment we're in and also speaks to a point that Lisa Rayett, um, former, you know, CPC cabinet minister, made in, in the piece to me, which is one of the things we really need from our politicians is for them to act better with one another and for them to really set an example Um, for their supporters and their constituents, because we can't expect, um, you know, regular folks to uh, behave any any better if the parliamentarians themselves are, you know, quite frankly, being huge dicks to each other online.
0: Mm. I, I can already forecast where some of the comments on this will go, and it's just going to be like, you know, basically sort of a bunch of liberal crybabies, you know, complaining they can't take the heat, you know, they should get out of the kitchen. I mean, you did you open your piece uh, with your reference to your interview with conservative, uh, very high profile MP Michelle Rempel Garner? on purpose? Like, did you want to reiterate right away that politicians of all political stripes are dealing with this female politicians?
2: I mean, not really. I'm, I'm, it wasn't like by design, honestly, it was just like the, the quote that Michelle and I, that I gave Michelle that I promised it wouldn't be victim porn sounded like a pretty good opening line. And that's kind of why I went with it. If I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, cause her and I, we had a, a very raw and frank conversation and Um, I agree with a lot of what she had to say um, about some of the solutions and about some of the, you know, um, hand wringing or like not really doing anything about it. And I I just I thought it was a good hook. Um, But yeah, it it does happen across the board. It happens, you know, across partisan lines. Um, Everyone's subject to it. None of it's good. Um, I don't know how many times I've, you know, have either mentioned Michelle, either for something she said, or like, you know, put out something that she's written, and then my own mentions will be filled with all sorts of misogynistic garbage towards her. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can criticize her, her policies and her party without, you know, calling her some sort of sexist name. And pointing out that she's, you know, young and blonde.
0: You write in your piece about how it's it, it's even, it's more different, uh, more difficult, more brutal uh, for women of color, uh, members of the LGBTQ2S plus community. I'm referencing a piece here in the Canadian Jewish News, this from the summer of 2021. Uh, a rebel media reporter, uh, one of their worst trolls on the roster, which is saying something, uh, arrested at an event with a conservative MP Melissa Lantzman who told police, basically, she was feeling the homophobia in this scenario, what do you think is so significant about this situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, um, so just for disclosure purposes, I mean, I consider Mel a friend. Uh, we used to work together at, at Enterprise, and I remember quite well. She was a candidate, I believe, at the time. I don't know if she the election had happened. And... um, I remember seeing some of the footage uh, he was acti- asking her all sorts of homophobic questions about, you know, are you a candidate simply because of your sexual orientation, which is complete bullshit. You don't have to agree with Mel Lanceman or uh, agree with her party to know that she's an incredibly hard worker and she, you know, is, is in politics for um, public service and to serve her constituents. And I think it, it points out the, Current hypocrisy that we see from the current CPC leader, which is to put out a tweet um, basically calling out uh, what had happened to David uh, Menzies yesterday when he was questioning Freeland and saying that this is what happens in Trudeau's Canada, without noting that this same rebel, you know, news personality. Had been arrested at two previous conservative events, one being Melissa Lanceman's, which you've just referenced, and another being previous conservative leaders, Andrew Shears' events. So um he gets arrested a lot, apparently, this rebel guy. And I, I don't think it's we're in a good place if our politicians, you know, can't walk around in public without a security entourage. And I don't think we should be celebrating anyone being arrested for just asking questions. But I I you know, there comes a point where just asking questions and it isn't just asking questions when you're getting into people's faces and you're, you know, blocking their physical space and entering into their physical space.
0: At the end of the day, where like, when you put a piece like this out there and we're going to link to it, people can find it in the show notes on the podcast or on YouTube and, and read it all the way through. Uh, what would you feel like if there's a call to action or, or if this plants a seed somewhere and gets people thinking about something in particular, what would represent the biggest win for you?
2: Honestly, for to look at legislation. So there's two aspects of this. One is I think we need to be looking at um, whether or not our criminal harassment laws are fit for the modern or digital world. Right. Um, If somebody tells you they're going to rape you or going to physically hurt you or try and kill you um, via email or on a social media platform, DM or, you know, even publicly uh, on their social media, is that not the same as they told you that in real life? It, it probably should. Um, I don't know if 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 our laws are necessarily structured in, in a proper way um, for that aspect. And then the other thing is like online harms legislation to actually hold these large um, you know for profit foreign companies accountable for the way that they've incentivized and designed their systems. Um, we have other you know jurisdictions, peer jurisdictions that have done that. Uh, the UK recently passed their online safety bill. The EU, of course, um, has had the the DSA, their Digital Services Act, in place for, for quite some time now. Um, and it, it makes no sense why, why Canada has been sort of late to this game. But, you know, it, not all is lost. We, we certainly can pass uh, online harms legislation. And, and I think we, we should and, and we need to so that um, some of this is at least curbed. Um, and we're, you're never going to get rid of everything, right? Um, but if you're designing your your systems so that you're not having the most harmful content be pushed to the front or threats pushed to the front um, of your of people's content feeds, then it'll certainly tamper it. And if you're holding big tech accountable, like some of these larger platforms, for the content that they you know willingly are allowing on their own. Um, at sites, they'd probably start to think about enforcing their terms of service a little bit differently. And, you know, Canada is an outlier insofar as we're the only G7 country that doesn't have um, limited liability, um, in- intermediary li- liability, sorry, in-, in places, what I should say, which is you know, when platforms are actually liable for the harms uh, arising from the content that they post.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, this isn't really profound what I'm offering right now. We're talking about two things. And like, number one is how algorithms work. And this is a real issue. And we, we hear it flaring up again and again and again. And as, as the average like human, like the average civilian, we, we don't really totally understand it, but we're definitely influenced by it, impacted by it in big ways. So there's the algorithm and there's the tech and there's the oversight that you need there and the regulations. And then also at the end of the day, like aside from bots, which are a thing, we're also just talking about people, like this harmful content. This is coming from people, and that's also a huge part of the issue that can't be ignored. You know what I mean? Like tech plays a big role for sure, but at the end of the day, the reason why this is such a big issue uh, or one of the reasons is because when threats turn into action, it's people harming people you know
2: yeah yeah like um algorithms don't kill people people kill people is that what you're trying yeah to i that? guess like that is g- what I, you yeah, all say it yeah. better yeah um i mean that's true but I, I think we also need to sort of consider the fact that like this isn't just about individual bad actors posting individual pieces of content if that was the case then we'd be back into the old-timey um, era that you were describing, where you have to like physically cut out magazine, you know, letters and you're and you're mailing it. Um, this is really like you you put something out and it pops up to the top of people's feeds or it comes up as their like suggested content and then you have other like-minded people glom onto that and also participate and that's kind of what lisa Ray was was getting at in in our conversation which is that like you know youtube and and tiktok and reels they encourage the kind of behavior that you see with um you know an outlet like rebel news where a lot of their mo is to get all up in your in your face um and to provoke a, a reaction um you know you and i ryan talked to, this about a year ago i guess when um, Minister Freeland was
0: approached in an yeah, elevator Grand Prairie I think it was
2: yeah and like you know that guy was clearly doing it for the clicks right like he did it like and posted it and got the kind of reaction that I that he was certainly looking for and it's like well you know maybe we should talk about the way these platforms are are designed and mm-hmm. like why is it that we're if not explicitly, we're kind of tacitly encouraging this kind of behavior from people.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That was wild. I feel like when when you brought that story up, it's like I can still hear that guy's voice. In my head right walking across like like storming across the lobby of I think it was Grand Prairie City Hall if I remember correctly and she's there for a meeting trying to get on the elevator and hey Christian then he just just this profanity laced it was wild and that guy actually his I don't want to sort of like shine a spotlight on this guy and turn him into some sort of a celebrity but his his involvement in all kinds of messed up stuff. Uh, goes pretty deep when you start talking about the convoy and realizing about all the, I mean, just all the, the deep, dark, kind of like seedy underbelly of a lot of the things that have been happening. A lot of these problems that we're talking about, that guy's been a player in that maybe more than people realized at the time uh, during that high profile incident in front of City Hall. You look down in the States and think like Gabby Giffords, whoever, it's like, you don't need to wait until somebody gets shot in the head uh, before you take something a little bit more seriously.
2: No, and that's a very good point. We don't need to wait. And I worry that we are, that's exactly what we're doing, is that we're just like sitting on our hands and waiting for something very terrible to happen to to someone. And that's when we'll be like, oh, we had no idea that Mm. any of this was possible. When like, I just, like, act now before somebody, like, actually gets hurt.
0: Yeah, Johnny's showing the video right now on YouTube. There it is. It's, uh, yeah, man, just a, it's also wild to think that somebody can just get that close to the, the deputy prime minister. Yeah, she's, like, surrounded by staffers, but none of them look like trained security personnel. Uh, okay. and, and certainly I don't think anybody's in, in a position to sort of, like, offer physical protection detail. I wonder if anything, it would be interesting to know if anything changed. Uh, with, uh, with 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 uh, Minister Freeland's security detail after that incident, or across the board for cabinet ministers, I, I I don't have any insight into that. I don't know if you do.
2: I mean, I think I feel like I read something not so long ago to suggest that there were at least a few ministers that um, needed a little bit more security. Because um, my understanding is, you know, ministers generally, if, unless you're on like. Um, you're at an event or something like you don't really have security detail. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And like, that's good. I think, I think it's good that we live in a country where we can approach our politicians and you can have a regular conversation with them. And I, I don't really want that to, to change, but you know, their safety should come first. And, yeah. um, if that does need to change, then that, that sucks.
0: You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I, I remember at Edmonton Folk Fest last summer, it's like the best festival at Edmonton in the summer. And, and I, I remember looking over at one point and the mayor of Edmonton, uh, who, who on a personal level is a really wonderful guy and and gets along with, I think, most people probably that he meets. Um, but he's also, like, e- experiencing... Some- <laughs> oh, wow. This is the most political way to describe it. I was going to say he's experiencing some unpopularity right now, Sabria. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I just... I looked over at Folk Fest, and I saw him there just walking with his wife and, like, you know, whatever. He had, like, a root beer or something in there, just walking. And, and and it occurred to me at the time, I just thought that was kind of unusual. Like, I guess it is good. You're right. It is good that Amarjeet so he and his wife can like walk around and have a normal folk fest. And it looked like for the most part, people were leaving him alone. But also I know that I've seen what people write about him online. I've seen what people write into our show when he joins me in studio. And I just think if I was him, honestly, I don't think I would be walking around folk fest by myself. Cause even if it does get to a situation where you get, uh, do I even want to go here? You know, this guy like David Menzies, this rebel reporter, like he's the worst. Like David, David Menzies like shows up at public pools that have like Muslim swimming hours and, and you know, for, for women that have chosen a modest and, and, and like trolls them. Like he shows up, he, troll, like he trolls and trolls and trolls. And, and Ezra Levant has graduated these type of people, right? This Key and Bexty puke as well is the same. And, and, and they almost kind of like dare you to do something, Right. They, they almost just dare you and they provoke and push and provoke. And I just think, you know, if if a, if a politician were to finally just be like, fuck off and just shove yeah. them and shove them like the political. I mean, the, the ramifications of that, uh, would you agree? I mean, your political career would almost be over. Uh, you'd be sued for sure. As, as was licking his chops at the chance to sue. I mean, it's just it's it's a lose, lose, lose type situation.
2: Totally, and you know who I think about a lot in that situation is actually Jugmeet Singh, hmm. um, because I again, folks may remember this, but uh, again, it's about like a year ago or a year and a bit ago, he was at uh, just like walking through a, a small town, Ontario. Um, I think it was in Peterborough, and was getting um, all sorts of threats and all sorts of racial epithets being hurled at him by, um, you know, anti-vaxxers and, and freedom convoy types. And Jagmeet, you know, can handle himself quite well. He's like a martial arts um, aficionado. And I just would, you know, he obviously is not going to do this. He's a very peaceful pacifist kind of guy, but I would just love for, him to be able to clock somebody and be like, yeah, fuck off. Get that get the hell out of my face. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that would change things, but I would just imagine it would only further encourage folks um to take it to the next level because the person who would then get clocked ends up being like the the martyr, the yeah. hero for all of their losers online.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. What we need to do is just wait until someone like Jugmeet announces he's not seeking re-election, and then get the popcorn because <laughs> that's when he doesn't have to worry about it. Uh, I, don't po- I don't. I don't. I don't make light of it. It is a serious issue. But sometimes I just I feel like you know people aren't paying the piper as much as they need to when it comes to accountability for this kind of stuff. While we have you here, I, I have to ask you. I mean, this really has nothing to do with the story we just talked about. But but uh, it seems like everybody in the country right now is. T- talking about this petition that uh, Dr. Leslie Lewis has sponsored. So she didn't author it. Technically, it sounds like her office or her staffers helped the author work on it to, to, to get it to sound more sane. Uh, the guy's got 60,000 signatures on the petition. The guy, a private citizen out of BC that's calling for Canada to leave the United Nations. And when you get into the actual wording of the petition, you realize what this is all about. He's, he's worried about the so-called Agenda 2030, uh, thinks that you know educational institutions are damaging children, concealing information from parents, of course sex ed pops up in this they, they talk about unelected private entities That are trying to ruin people's lives uh, Everybody's saying uh, I talked to Charles Adler yesterday This is not serious Entertaining this idea of Canada leaving the UN Makes Canada appear to be unserious But is this just another story That's going to go away in 10 days And no one's going to worry about it Or is someone like Pierre Polyev Actually probably calling Dr. Lewis in For a quick
3: meeting
2: I don't think he's calling her in for a quick meeting. Um, Also, if I was Michael Chong, I'd be kind of pissed at uh, Leslin Lewis for getting in on foreign affairs and getting in on his portfolio territory um, as because he's the foreign affairs critic for the conservatives. And so, you know, Lewis is kind of like out of veering out of her lane here a little bit. Um, And the reason why I don't think Polyev is going to have a quick call with her is because the actual press gallery isn't really covering the story to the degree that they probably should or could. And, you know, Press Progress is the one who's been leading the way um, on this and very many other stories that um, kind of highlight the uh, problematic conspiracy theory adjacent world that many conservative MPs and, you know, front bench members, like if the conservatives were to form government, I mean, Leslie Lewis is in the shadow cabinet, I think we can credibly assume she would be given a ministerial position or role. Um, So it's incredibly important to call this stuff out. But until this gets into um, regular Ottawa political bubble conversation, um, I don't think it's going to make a difference. And, And currently we have the vast majority of political reporters and pundits in this country Um, still kind of framing both the liberals and the conservatives as, you know, variations of like the same thing as Coke and Pepsi, essentially, when that's just simply not true. Um, You don't have to agree with the liberal party, you don't have to agree with the liberal government. But I mean, you don't have uh, front bench liberal members that are, you know, claiming that, Somehow that MRNA vaccines are going to change our, our DNA, which, by the way, is impossible to do for at least three good reasons. But it's just, you know, they it's like living in an alternate reality. And it kind of ties into my to our earlier, you know, stuff that we were talking about on the online stuff, because I'd be very curious to see what this guy's um, social feeds look like. <laughs> Like, where is he getting his news from? What does his information ecosystem look like? Um, And how much of that, how much of what is, um, you know, conspiratorial um, gets pushed to the top of his feed versus, you know, you know, more news or fact based articles that he just simply doesn't engage with.
0: Yeah, he, uh, Luke LeBron deserves credit here. As you mentioned, press progress. Uh, we'll link to the piece in the show notes as well. But he managed to, to connect with the author of this piece and and uh, gets into kind of uh, th- the whole idea of the 15 minute cities flares up again, which I think is just like, we've done entire episodes on it. It's just absolutely amazing. But he's talking about like central bank, digital currency, people being forced to eat bugs and like it. He says uh, people losing their humanity, as you referenced, becoming different creatures. So it's just, it's it's like the type of person. Um, and I, I'm not here to mock uh, mental illness, but I'm just saying if you were to interact with this person, uh, on the street, I think you would probably, if we're being honest, discount anything they were saying within the first 10 seconds uh, and graciously excuse yourself from the conversation. But instead, you have like, you know, a. a I would say I mean, she wasn't a front runner, but she's a prominent former candidate for the leadership of the conservative party. Like you said, a, a probable cabinet minister that's putting this, putting her name on this and like introducing this to the House of Commons to be debated, to be considered. It's just like, I don't know. It's it, uh, Michael Chong, I understand what you're saying about his shadow critic role, but like also if I was just any normal regular conservative. I'd probably be a little bit choked about this because it just, to me, just perpetuates this idea that it's a party that, I mean, I know there's a lot of normal people. There's millions of normal people that support the conservatives that would like to see a normal, steady, credible, reputable conservative option out there. And stunts like this just, I mean, I know I feel like I'm stating the obvious here, but it's just like two steps back every single time. I'd be pissed if I was just a regular MP.
2: Yeah, I would be too. But I mean, you know, I don't. Is it actually two steps back if nobody's really talking about it, right? Like we're talking about it, and I think that's great. I think why it's don't great you that-
0: think anybody is? Like, are they just too snobby? There's just bigger stories, or they're just laughing this off, or they don't think it's a thing, or what?
2: I think there's a bunch of reasons. I mean, I think for one, I, I don't think a good chunk of our uh, political newsroom leadership, uh, frankly, understands the internet. <laughs> or frankly understands the way um, information ecosystems have changed um, and just how easy it is uh, to get sucked into these sorts of rabbit holes and just how it can very much influence your entire worldview. Um, So they treat a lot of, you know, Pierre Polyev's social media activity, a lot of conservative MPs' social media activity as like this sort of weird outlier that has nothing to do with their own opinions or their own values or their own stances on things. And I think that's incredibly short sighted, particularly um, when we see what's happened in, in other jurisdictions. And we've seen just how, you know, um, conspiracy theories and and some of this more further right rhetoric can really take hold um, and really transform uh, the political discourse of a country and you know we only ever really compare ourselves to the states as a country so it's kind of weird that we really don't for this sort of thing
0: um just uh want to let you know that the live chat the minute you were on just absolutely exploded uh with people thrilled to see you again and wishing you uh, all the best you can follow Sapria DeVetti on twitter at Sapria davetti make sure you read her piece at chatelaine.com we'll link to it in the show notes we love you and we look forward to talking to you again soon
2: Love you too, buddy. Talk
0: soon. All right, thanks for doing this. Uh, Coming up in just a second, Mo Amir. I'm going to throw this in front of him. He's here to he's here to talk about something different. He's going to talk about Pierre Polyev's housing affordability plan, and uh, we're going to get into a couple of other things as well. Of course, we can't ignore the Chip Wilson thing, the comments on Lululemon. I know that's another story that's kind of been flying below the radar, but many of you have pointed out to us. Had you like, I I, I'll I'll be honest, I didn't like do a lot. I'm not a I'm not a shareholder with Lululemon. I hadn't paid a lot of attention to like stock price and stuff like that. Um, Clearly. Uh, Johnny, both you and I should have bought Lululemon stock. Years oh yeah, ago. way
4: back in the day. But uh, I want to credit
0: Real Talkers. Who we we got like multiple emails and, and DMs from people saying you need to check where Lululemon's stock was at when he was chairman. Yeah, uh, and like now. when he was CEO and now, and like since he's left. Yeah. The stock is up like ten
4: x. Huge change. So,
0: so I don't know if like there's really. I mean, obviously the guy's got credibility. He's a billionaire. He built a big business. He built the biggest business in athleisure wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a successful person. Um, but at the same time, Lululemon is way more successful without him. So why would they give a shit what he has to say about any of their marketing campaigns?
4: It's amazing when you get someone who, who's who got a cooler head in the, in the big seat that everyone calms down right? and likes the brand better. Isn't that weird, Ryan? Isn't
0: it funny how that goes? So we'll get into that with Mo Amir, but I have to ask him about this UN petition as well. Uh, that's coming up in just a second. This episode of Real Talk is happening with the support of our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. You can find them online at granddog.ca And, Johnny, I thought that we would just reference our Grand Dog calendar. Check this out. We have it here in studio. You can order your own uh, online on their website. We love this. Every photo in here, all of these pups are all. (laughs) These are Grand Dog customers. These are partners. These are members of their Grand Dog raw pack and uh, beautiful photos. So there's like 12 contest winners here. Got one in my Uh, stocking
4: this year. It's on the fridge. I love it. Yeah,
0: you (laughs) did. And there's a great Grand Dog tip in each month. So this one here for January, courtesy of our friends at Grand Dog. You know, Eggs are one of the most nutritious foods to add to your dog's meals whether it's raw or kibble uh, they're a complete protein source with 10 of the essential amino acids that your dog needs you can feed the egg raw with the shell or lightly cooked two or three times a week. That's just one of the tips in the Grand Dog Calendar. You can find it online. Plus, they have monthly specials. We're going to be telling you about those through the month of January. Don't forget, when you order, use the promo code REALTALK, 10% off your first-time order delivered to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are hiring right now, so if 2024 for you is going to be the year that your career fast-forwards, if you'd love to work in Calgary, Edmonton, Kamloops, They're hiring electricians, sales personnel, technicians, engineers, office managers. The team at Kubi is rapidly growing, and it's no wonder why. Not only are they Western Canada's busiest solar installer, but they have quickly established a reputation as a place that people love to work. If you want to join Canada's green revolution and see your career take off as well, check out the careers link today at kubienergy.ca. And our friends at complete care restoration are officially our only partners that hope you never call them but if disaster strikes and through the cold snap a pipe bursts and your basement's flooded or heaven forbid you were one of those homeowners impacted by wildfires this summer Or next summer, don't forget that nobody does a better job than the trained and qualified team at Complete Care Restoration. They work across the province. You can check out more about their services and get answers to frequently asked questions, including about hazardous material removal, what they do differently than anybody else, on their website at CompleteCareRestoration.ca.
4: Supriya talking about the fear of mRNA vaccines. You know, I, if we can get a little DNA change in the next booster, I'll take a little of the three Ryans. Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, and Ryan Jesperson. Well, Just was... the voice from Jesperson, the looks from the other two guys. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs>
0: going to believe anything. We had, uh, we we're, were watching the Golden Globes the other night, yeah. and um, Ryan Gosling comes on camera, and of course, one of the stars of Barbie. Yeah. And uh, and I, and I, he, he was wearing, I don't know if you saw, but he was wearing that kind of like Western inspired yeah, cowboy piping, mm-hmm. kind of like a black suit with the white piping, mm-hmm. and I I go, damn, and Carrie, <laughs> and I hear Carrie go, I know, and I was like, easy, easy, you didn't have to be that enthusiastic about it. Uh, if you could be Ryan Gosling or Ryan Reynolds, which Ryan would
4: you choose? Oh, I, I'd have to go for the Canadian in that They're one, both Canadian. But, I mean, but oh, oh, yeah, that's right, they're both Canadian. What yeah, are we buddy, talking we about? I was thinking both. of Gosling as, 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 no, as a yank. You get yeah, to claim him. Yeah, that's great.
0: I think I, I'd be Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's just he's just a little he's 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 got the sense of I'm mean, Cosling, they're both hilarious. They're both amazing. They're <laughs> take, both 10s. I'll
4: take a little of their DNA both in the next booster shot. Yeah, I don't just think a little sprinkle. You roll the dice 50/50, I'll take either yeah, one. Yeah, I'll right? take it. You're not going you're not going <laughs> to lose. I wonder what Mo Amir would choose.
0: He's not expecting this question as number 1. Let's Which... find out. He's the host of this is Van Culler. He's one of our favorite political commentators and he claims to be BC's most bleeped broadcaster which is maybe why I loves real talk because we don't bleep anybody pal
3: it's true man happy new year and uh you're my favorite Albertan. So i'm happy to be back
0: hey thank you man it's nice to see your face and a happy new year to you if you could be ryan gosling or ryan reynolds uh which one would you
3: choose uh ryan reynolds because he follows me on twitter whoa and only for that reason
0: didn't he just he received a big was it bc order of order of british columbia or something like that he just got some big award
3: he did. Yeah, no, he's he's a local hero here in Vancouver. And, you know, he does follow me on Twitter. He just doesn't respond to my DMs. And I try incessantly, <laughs> but he never gets back. To me. So I Ryan, wanna... if for some reason you're watching this, please hit me up.
0: I want to give you credit for even trying. I think that you deserve points for even trying. That's very well you done. You got to
3: shoot your shot, man. You got to shoot your shot. Well, because what,
0: what if he does get back to you and then all of a sudden you have him on this is Van Color on check and then you're the talk of the town. You're the belle of
3: the and, ball, buddy. And then we're going to be best friends. That's my plan. That's my, that's what I want to manifest in 2024, Ryan. Yeah. Well, you bring him
0: to the real talk (laughs) holiday party. He could be your plus one and you'll be, you'll be remembered forever. Absolutely. Uh, So all this talk about uh, Leslin Lewis, obviously Supriya DeVetti gave her take on, on the petition and sort of the bigger ramifications of it. Charles Adler and I talked yesterday about it. Uh, What angle do you hit this story from? Number one, are you surprised more people aren't talking about it or do you think it's getting the appropriate level of ignorance from a lot of people?
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a petition for anything these days. Like if you had an online petition to ban butter tarts in Canada, you can easily sign up, you know, 60,000 people for that as well. And you would have some backbench uh, MP uh, bring that to the House floor. So I don't take the petition particularly seriously, but obviously the fact that Leslyn Lewis is making hay about this, I I think is concerning. Now, uh, the United Nations, uh, you know, it has its faults. It's it's kind of a bloated organization. I I don't know how effective it is in, in, you know, promoting world peace or in resolving conflicts around the world. Uh, however, the reality is is that Canada is not a country in isolation. We rely on trade partners, we rely on diplomatic partners. and being involved in the global community is something that is important. And you know, I, I think it's a little bit reductive to just put a cost benefit analysis to it when a lot of the benefits uh, are just not seen on, you know the the, the annual budget in Parliament. So uh, I, I think it's a silly conversation. I hope it's treated as such. And I do hope that um, people do push back and understand the importance of Canada's role in these international organizations.
0: Yeah, I get, I get that it's all flawed. I I was just saying this to Chuck yesterday. And if, if, I mean, I'm all for debates on, I think it's a healthy debate. Uh, I'm not, I don't, think that maybe I don't share some of the views uh that the author of the petition holds around like humanity being sucked out of people by way of syringes delivering vaccines and the conspiracy theories about the global cabals but I do have time for for debating you know the role of the UN or you know whether or not you know I, I mean I, I think that that's kind of actually for nerds and geeks like us that's kind of a fun conversation like like does the UN need Canada and does Canada need the UN when, uh, when it all comes down to it at the end of the day, I said to Chuck uh, Adler, you know, sort of at, at a basic level, I just think it's it it's a tough look for Canada to even be talking. It just makes us look silly. It just makes it just like if Canada were to leave the United Nations, I mean, it's not even really a serious thing that wouldn't happen. But if Canada were to leave the UN, it, you kind of have the rest of the developed world looking at Canada going like, what are you doing, bro? That That is just kind of like a weird move, you know?
3: That's exactly it. And that's and that's kind of my stance. I, I don't think it it helps us on the on the global stage. And certainly when it comes to things like trade agreements or coalitions for, you know, certain conflicts or issues around the world, you know, pulling out or or withdrawing from the UN or suddenly going full isolationist. I, I don't see how that benefits the country. And again, it, it's not a direct cost benefit it costs us this much and this is how much we get out of it uh that's kind of a silly way to look at it so uh, i think we're on the same page here ryan
0: you uh, uh, People can follow you on uh, Twitter at VanColor. They'll find you on TikTok as as well. And, and you recently did a piece on why landlord Pierre Poliev won't <laughs> reduce your rent. If you look at polling right now, there's millions of Canadians that believe that Pierre Poliev would better address Canada's affordability and housing crisis. That in comparison to the current prime minister, Justin Trudeau. But, but you don't think that this would be a quick fix and you're not sure that Poliev would be up to the job. Take us into why.
3: Yeah, so I want to start with a disclaimer. I I think the Trudeau government has been an absolute disaster when it comes to the housing file. There's no debate about that. They've been awful. There's going to be a lot of Trudeau stands or or liberal supporters saying, oh, but it's it's a provincial responsibility. It's not federal. And I guess, but the reality is we've had a long history in this country of the federal government uh, funding and building social housing. And that effectively stopped, um, it started to slow down in in the 80s and then the Chrétien government under finance minister Paul Martin effectively ended social housing. And it's only been recently that the Trudeau government is trying to restart a lot of those efforts. So I wanna talk about some of the things that Pierre gets right. Uh, The first thing is is that we do have a a chronic shortage of housing being built in this country. I, I think that's absolutely true. It's decades of of underbuilding. Uh, we absolutely did build more homes in 1972 than we than we built in 2022. But part of the reason for that is that the federal government was involved in building social housing. So it makes up a lot of the difference when you have you know your your federal government building out housing. Uh, Pierre Polyev is also correct in that a lot of government regulation or red tape uh, does add to the cost of construction. So in terms of building new housing, uh, there are some, you know, headaches and costs that maybe we could uh, reduce and I think the the other thing um, that especially happened during COVID is that because of quantitative easing, um, we basically injected a lot of liquidity into the market, which was used by real estate investors and drove up demand and drove up, you know, basically the the cost of housing now pierre has some interesting uh proposals and i think that they're pretty good i mean he talks about uh cutting red tape he talks about creating construction targets for municipalities he talks about high density uh zoning around rapid transit this stuff is all good and in fact in british columbia we've already started that our our provincial government has started a lot of these things i think where pierre gets it wrong is on two fronts and the first is the reason that housing is so expensive in Vancouver and Toronto across the country is the cost of land. I'm sure some of you have seen those crazy uh real estate listings where it's like this dilapidated shack yeah. in, in Vancouver and it's like seven million dollars. It's not the house. That's worth $7 million. It's not taxes that makes that house listed at $7 million. It's the land underneath the house. And so, unless you indre- address the cost of land, um, you won't really make market housing any more cheaper. Now, the problem with that is so many people have skin in the game in the housing market, right? So if you have a house or even a condo or whatever, um you certainly do not want the equity in your home to go down. You don't want your mortgage to be underwater. And so now we're kind of playing this balancing act of like okay, we want to make market housing more affordable, but also we don't want people uh to to lose their their shirt on on adjusting this this housing market. So Yeah, more, there's like talking, more, there's yeah.
0: like millions of Canadians in their 50s, 60s and 70s that desperately want their kids to be able to buy a home, but it better not be at the expense of the equity in their home. You know what I mean? And so it's like people are standing up trying to ride two horses at the same time
3: exactly and i think what a lot of that generation of older homeowners is doing is you know they might be looking at a retirement age so maybe they're downscaling so they sell their home uh they take some of that you know some of the proceeds and buy a smaller home and then they give some of the proceeds to help towards a down payment to their kids right and that's kind of what's happening uh, in terms of for millennials, like most millennials, at least that I know, and certainly myself included, uh, got a bit of a, a help from, from their parents. So I think that's very common. Um, but again, as you said, no one wants to lose value in their home. That's just the even a even a 10 percent loss of value in your home i think people will freak out about uh the second thing that pierre i think gets wrong is that he's not advocating for the massive build out of social housing in fact pierre is on record saying that he wants government out of the business of building housing and so social housing is a great way to you know, help address the rent issue because what it does is it disincentivizes landlords to go out and buy property as investment properties and rent renting out because the government's doing a lot of that, right? So you're taking the, the rental market out of the quote-unquote private market and you are you know, subsidizing it or at least having some government management over it. And again, I want to emphasize we've had a long history of social housing throughout this country. And so this is not a new idea. This isn't introducing communist you know, this is things that we've done for decades and stopped doing for decades. And the reason why we're in this position right now in terms of our housing market is because we stopped doing this for, for many decades, and that has compounding effects. So my my, I mean, I think a lot of people agree with me, but I think the reality is if you want to address rents. In this country, there's two things you have to address. The first is the cost of land, which I don't think anyone wants to touch for, you know, clear reasons. And the second is you have to talk about social housing. One last point that I want to bring up and I think you you alluded to it. Uh, I do mention that Pierre Polyev himself is a landlord. It's worth noting that this is not a conservative issue or it's not a Pierre Polyev issue. Approximately. Forty percent of MPs in Ottawa are invested in real estate and we're not talking about their primary residents, We're talking about real estate investments. So when you have such uh, self interest in keeping the housing market afloat in keeping land values going up and up and up. It's just going to be impossible. And and to be honest, it, it I would look for a politician that either doesn't is not invested in real estate or is liquidating their investments in real estate because they think that the the price of uh, homes is going to come down. Um, and so I think it's just kind of a rigged game and and it's it's landlords making rules to to benefit other landlords
0: yeah, I don't think the price of housing is, I mean, I, it's it's different too. like here. We're talking to you. You're in Vancouver. Uh, we're here in Edmonton. Uh, you know, we just talked to Sapria, She's in Toronto. Like it would depend where, you know, if we're talking to somebody in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan or Halifax, it's going to be different there as well. Shout out to Moose Jaw. So, I mean, but generally speaking across the country, I don't. Think of any uh, legitimate reason why housing prices would start to drop, uh, based on the fact that the inventory just isn't there. Another, on a side note, one thing that I think a lot of people maybe don't think about, maybe they realize it, but they don't quite think about it all the time, is that these politicians, it happens at a provincial level and it happens at a federal level, receive pretty generous housing allowances. Uh, you know, those in particular that live away. You know, if you're an, if you're an MLA uh, in in northern Alberta or in deep southern, you know, like let's say you're in the middle of, of of B.C., uh, you know, and you got to make your way to Victoria or you got to make your way to Edmonton through the legislative session. You're getting these housing allowances that a lot of them and if there's nothing illegal about this at all, uh, but they're using this housing allowance to pay down the mortgages of investment properties. And I think the average person doesn't realize that it's a nice little cherry on the Sunday. I do think, generally speaking, that politicians are underpaid and I'll go to the wall. I mean, I can argue that all day long. Uh, so I'm not against incentivizing career. In politics, but I think that all the cards should be on the table and people should recognize that there's a lot of opportunity out there for elected officials to invest in the housing market using what essentially is I know it's a supercharged way to put it, but tax dollars.
3: And and these are the things that I think disconnect politicians from regular Canadians. I mean, you might have seen that tweet from uh, Green Party leader Elizabeth May over the weekend where she was saying that, you know, Canadian cities are among the cheapest to live in in North America. And I think on the the graphic that she had posted, uh, Vancouver was highlighted in that, which obviously is not true. Um, And and so I think that especially when politicians are are in Ottawa or in uh, their provincial legislature for a while, they they just naturally tend to be somewhat disconnected from the realities that everyday people are living. I mean, here in Vancouver, the average market rental listing right now is about $3,000 a month for a one bedroom. I mean, that's ridiculous. I don't know who could afford that. I have to no be idea. honest, like if you're a single person and you're, you know, even if you're making a, a, a 100K a year, like three grand every month just in rent is ridiculous.
0: I don't even want to say this next thing because it makes me sad, but I just like if you're making a hundred K a year in Vancouver, how are you even doing it? Like, people people often, good for people, like people say, uh, I you know, I rose out of the ashes, I, I, I overcame my addiction, or I went back to school, and now I'm earning a six-figure salary. That used to be the thing. Like, if you if you got to a six-figure salary, yeah. and then I look at the cost of living, and never mind, like gas and groceries and everything else, and it's like, and never mind, like, your kid wants to play hockey, or, or you'd like to take your kids to the mountains for the weekend. Like, I, I know I'm saying obvious stuff here, but I just don't even know how people are doing it.
3: Well, I mean, my my family is a family of immigrants and my parents immigrated here in 1989. I was four years old. And, you know, I talk to my dad about this often. And he says that if we had immigrated, you know, in the same conditions, if I was four years old and they were, you know, in in their 30s and, and we had immigrated to Canada today, He's just saying that there's no way that they could have saved up money to buy a house. They couldn't have saved up money to create their business, which they did, Uh, and it would have been a very difficult life. And they probably wouldn't want to move to Canada as a result. And so especially in a situation where we're trying to attract talent, whether it's healthcare workers or construction workers, uh, you know, just we have labor shortages across several sectors where we're trying to attract people to come here and work and continue to build this country. we have to address this housing crisis. We have to have places for people to live. And yes, supply is absolutely part of it. But I think the other part is that we have for too long incentivized housing, not just as a place to live or you know a modest nest egg that you might have for savings, but we've really uh, incentivized it a- as an investment vehicle where people are also over leveraging themselves to get as much, you know to pick up as much rental units as possible. And, and I think it's just created this very uh toxic housing environment that we're currently in
0: um i i think he uh holds the keys to the most valuable property in vancouver doesn't chip wilson i'm pretty sure it's like it's it it's like yeah. it, it's like at least it's a top 10 uh type property the guy's obviously yeah, it's like 80 million dollars or something it's you know, something just, ridiculous and an yeah. nice nice little pad for 80 million comfortable for you and your guests uh with yep. a beautiful view of the water the founder The billionaire founder of Lululemon uh, raised eyebrows last week when he said that the brand just isn't for everybody. Uh, I'm citing reporting in USA Today, says the founder of Lululemon. You don't want certain customers coming in he talked about the company's quote whole diversity and inclusion thing um which by the way interesting trends companies are moving away from dei we can talk about that but i get back to his comments here it says that mm-hmm. people picked uh, to represent the company in ads so he's talking about the models the clothing models look unhealthy sickly <laughs> And not inspirational. Uh, now, he's no longer, of course, on the board. He's not the CEO anymore. But your thoughts on Chip Wilson's comments and why they matter or don't?
3: Um, I don't think they they matter in the long run. But I think they're obviously pretty toxic in the overall discourse. W- when I first heard this news story, I thought maybe Lululemon's stock had taken a dive. Like, the way he was talking, I thought maybe he personally had suffered financially, because even though he's not on the board anymore, he still has, you know, a a substantial amount of shares and equity in the company. And so then I immediately went to, uh, you know, the stock price to see how it had done this year. And well, even year on year, it was up. So I kind of scratched my head and go, okay, well, maybe on a long enough timeline, it's, you know, maybe it's up this year, but maybe it's still tanking. Uh, and then I looked kind of at the the all time Lululemon share price, and the reality is is that when when uh, Chip was on the the board, um, the price the share price kind of uh, hovered around sixty dollars per share. Today it's around five hundred dollars per share. So Chip Wilson, even though he left Lululemon, uh, you know his his equity in Lululemon has grown quite substantially, and he's made a lot of money. So I, I can understand this obsession that he has with, you know, criticizing women's bodies or criticizing this sense of inclusion. And, and the reality is, as much as we can say that Lululemon is inclusionary um it's still very expensive you know it's still out of reach for a lot of people like it is a luxury good in a lot of ways and 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 you see that around the world it it is a global luxury brand i mean maybe it's not a a versace or anything but it's still in terms of athletic wear it's up there so I, i i can't understand what his issue is or why he needs to sound off on this when clearly you know he hasn't been negatively affected personally and and the brand itself is still a, a very prestigious brand uh, around the world
0: yeah um yeah it re- reached an all-time high the stock did on uh, december 22nd just before christmas around uh 510 bucks us uh, you think as an investor you'd be pretty happy with that we, we talked about this briefly a few shows ago and um I, number one i just think with with our understanding about physical fitness. And, and I do think that um, maybe I'm getting into dangerous territory here, but it's real talk. Let's make it real. Um, you know, uh, America does, or the world, we do look at an obesity crisis. We do understand that like, we need to pay better attention to w- what's in our food and what we're eating and how much and when we're eating and all those types of things. But we're also mm-hmm. gaining a better understanding from medical professionals, uh, from nutritionists, dietitians, uh, from people that work in physical fitness, that there are different definitions of fitness and fitness comes in all shapes and sizes. And uh, for an athleisure brand like Lululemon, you would think, and I mean, I'm just sort of coming down to a basic marketing level. You would think that you want your brand to be represented by a diverse group of people who would all love to rep that brand and love to wear that brand and come at it from different ways. And, and, and whether you're somebody that's, you know, a marathon runner or you're a power lifter uh, you would think that there would be a spot for you uh, when it comes to the Lululemon clothing line, so so that's one thing that I don't quite understand about his comments, uh, suggesting yeah that you want
3: to you want to sell more product you want to wanna more sell people. more product to more people <laughs> like it just seems
0: like a weird kind of kind of a thing to say you want to know you know you want to be clear that you don't want certain people coming into your store uh, is is kind of a strange take, but then on the flip side, the one thing that I kind of respect about the comments kinda kinda. There the, we go. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, for, for an entrepreneur, and again, the reason why I hesitate is because he's not really, I mean, he's he's always going to be connected to the brand, but he's not the CEO, and he's not the chair mm-hmm. of the board. So so take the comments with a grain of salt. But I kind of respect when somebody says, yeah, it's not for you. Like, it, part of me, just a small part of me goes, huh. Like, we talked about restaurants that have said, we want our servers to wear a certain Uniform, and that might be high heels. And then there's outcry and outrage, and I get why. I totally but you're, but you're understand comparing, why. You're
3: comparing like an inverse thing, A private right? so company a to a publicly in,
0: traded company.
3: Well, not even that. You're comparing a restaurant that is paying the server to, to carry out a function, right? And part of that function is, I think, aesthetic or certainly how um, you know they interact with customers or whatever. I right? think like you're paying that person to do that job. This is the inverse where people are paying for the product. Um, hope, and so yeah. I, I just, I don't buy it. I also don't like this idea that, Okay, maybe this isn't for you, but the reality is, you know, we, I, I think most fitness communities, particularly the yoga community, I mean, I used to be uh, a big yogi, I, mean, I can't tell now, but I used to be, uh, I used to go twice a day, uh, pre-COVID, And the reality is yoga itself is quite inclusionary. And and the studios that I've been in really support people who are new. Most yoga classes that I went to, the teacher would always ask, hey, like I see some faces that that are new to me. Let me know if it's your first time, right? And so if let's say you are you know, not in the physical shape you want to be, or you have aspirational goals, but you still want to get the right gear. You still want to feel good or look good. Um, there should be companies that cater to that. And I think there is a market for that. And clearly there is because Lululemon does great business. So I, I just don't buy this idea of like, oh, this isn't for you because you know what, maybe it could be. And, and if, and, 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 and i think when you have a brand that says this isn't for you i don't think it just turns off the people that they're trying to not have in the store i think it turns off the the general public as well of course so it does
0: it's bonkers. Yeah. it's bonkers it's bonkers it's like when like i have many good friends uh, and you probably i don't know do you do you want a car I do, yeah. May, may I ask what type of car you drive? I know it's kind of a personal. I, I have a Honda Accord. Okay, you have, oh, very practical Reliable. choice. Reliable. Very practical choice. But I'm sure you have lots of friends as well, or some friends that drive Teslas. And mm-hmm. Tesla as a brand and as a vehicle is really impressive. Um, it's losing some of its market share to some of its Chinese competitors, and there's an interesting story there that we're following. But it's it, it, it's been fascinating to see over the past couple of years people that own and drive and love their Teslas Uh, feeling like in a way, and I've seen it in our friend circle play out, feeling like they almost have to answer for some of the stuff that Elon Musk says, you know what I mean? (laughs) And it's like, and it's, they're like, and, and some of them are like Elon disciples and some of them are like, Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. But the fact of the matter is the only reason why anybody's putting eyes on them is because they drive the car that everybody associates with the guy. So it would be interesting to see if people that are like rocking Lululemon, that love the gear, that love the brand feel a little bit more viscerally like a response and not in a good way to what Chip Wilson says. You know what I mean? If, if all of a sudden uh, he's trying to tell
3: I can tell you as someone that is dumped, uh, you know, probably thousands of dollars in Lulu gear over the last ten years. Um, I don't. You know, I, I don't feel because Chip's no longer part of the company. And and it's funny because I put out a, a TikTok talking about this, and this is why you and I are also discussing this. And I had someone from Lululemon uh, reach out to me and say, "Hey, like, just by the way, like, we're not that bad. Here's this internal memo from our CEO basically saying that Chip doesn't represent us, and he, you know, he doesn't work for Lululemon or anything like that." And you know, my response was, first of all. Thank Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. But then secondly, like, no, I'm not blasting Lululemon. I love Lululemon. I think it's great. So uh, it's funny because I think that there were some employees there that certainly felt embarrassed. Um, I think Lou Lemon since then has gone somewhat public with a, with a statement just saying, like, you know, they, they are proud of their diversity and inclusion efforts. Um, and, but again, as a company, I, maybe there are things that you can criticize about them. But I think certainly when it comes to their advertisements or trying to appeal to a broader uh, customer base, I don't think that's one thing that they should be embarrassed about.
0: Interesting comment from Alberta girl here in the comments says is Louis Vuitton for everyone. Uh, skin tight yoga pants are not for everyone. And I am one of those, she says, that would never buy or try that overpriced crap That uh, from Alberta girl. OK, <laughs> you let us know. <laughs>
3: She's hey. smart. She's smart. She <laughs> saves her money. Smart. I mean, it, it probably is overpriced, but I love it. And um, uh, yeah, I, I guess skin tight pants aren't for everyone. Sure. Well, but, that's you know, that's also
0: my- that's a judgment call. That's a judgment call. Exactly, It's a personal call. It's a personal call. Um, Yeah, if anything, I mean, I think Lululemon right now doing what is irritating its founder and seeing its stock price skyrocket is kind of all they need to do. The numbers will speak for themselves. What's with all the the TikTok posts in bathrobes? Is this your new thing? Uh, I'm reading the comments. All anybody wants to know about is the bathrobes.
3: Yeah, it's really funny. So obviously, you know, when I'm doing my show on check, I dress up um and so i this year in particular i started a little i started late last year but this year in particular i wanted to have more TikTok commentary and really off the cuff stuff so the the commentary that you see on the shows where uh where i do a two-minute rant you know that is scripted that is very tight writing but just to practice uh my own skills i wanted to do kind of off the cuff TikToks. and so uh i had basically i'm not scripting anything i'm just conceptually thinking of like here's what i want to talk about uh and and so one day uh, when i said okay i came out of the shower and i'm like what should i wear for this and i said well i'm in my home uh why don't i just get in a bathrobe and just just rant like that because it is basically what i'm doing right i'm just kind of you know at home leisurely uh ranting about about things that maybe don't make the the cut of my show so uh i think uh that's just it. There's, there's nothing uh, deeper than that.
0: I love it. Hey, we're going to be talking uh, in closing. Let me ask you this. Uh, You had Kyla Lee, uh, a a lawyer on your show. Yeah. Kyla. uh, uh, Awesome. And we've had her on on real talk to help us understand where impaired driving legislation is going in Canada and stuff like that. Super sharp. um, And, and kind of, I don't know if I call her a rising legal star. She's already kind of arrived uh, in -hmm. BC, but very well known and sharp commentary. Um, You had her on uh, talking about whether or not magic mushrooms are legal in Vancouver. We're going to be talking to Dana Larson on Thursday morning on this show, uh, yeah. and and of course, I think some people know that that Dana um, would you, would you call him like I don't know if he's a drug activist. That seems like kind of a weird. I don't know. I'll ask him what he wants to be called. Um, but he mailed shrooms basically to all of BC's MLAs over the holiday break, and some of them I'm sure thought it was funny. Some of them probably imbibed and enjoyed them, uh, and then some of them are are really like. Speaking very out, I mean, like very upset yeah. about it because he mailed them illegal and illicit drugs. And he's calling them pearl clutchers. And and I think it's going to be a pretty entertaining conversation coming up on Thursday. Um, based on your conversation with Kyla, based on the news story involving Dana sending shrooms to politicians, uh, take us into that story from your perspective.
3: Um, so first of all, Ryan, be honest with me. Yeah. Shrooms were sent to 87 B.C. MLAs. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a couple of them went on a nice trip over the hog. I would suggest 40 to
0: 50 of them. A little taste. Probably. <laughs> no, but all, yeah, at least I would say at least 20, wouldn't just, you? Just probably. Some tea. I would eat them. Some so I, would, I, I
3: Yeah, I would say 10 to 20 for sure. That would be my guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know.
0: Um, who would you say uh, out of the BC politicians, uh, out of the roster at, at, at You're the trying to get leg- me in
3: trouble. I'm not answering that who question. Is,
0: who is the number one most likely to have eaten the shrooms within five minutes of them arriving?
3: Oh, my God. Come on. Uh, oh, I interview these people. You know, I already trashed them on policy. I can't do this. I I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I can tell you it was definitely not Eleanor Sturco. She was definitely the most vocal. She was upset. And angry about this. She's a BC United MLA. She was very angry about it. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny, but. But ultimately, I do wonder when you pull publicity stunts like this, is it really driving the conversation around legalizing this uh, hallucinogenic drug, right? Because what we're talking about, and certainly in Vancouver, what we were talking about is the stunt. Right. We're not talking about psilocybin or magic mushrooms in terms of its benefits or even its risks. And the reality is psilocybin has less toxicity. uh, It has less of an addictive quality than even alcohol. I mean, you don't really hear about like, quote unquote, uh, magic mushroom addicts like it's just not that. Type of substance, and so um, I, I do. While I respect Daniel Larson, and I and I think it's it's funny what he's doing, um, and I and I think that you know I, I'm pro I'm pro drug legal, legalization in general, but um, I, I just think that this tactic I, I wonder if it detracts from the overall conversation that we could be having, especially for something like psilocybin, which has a lot of um, medicinal uses as well. I mean, there's been a lot of tons about. About PTSD, about depression. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's something that should be explored more. And I think that we should get out of this weird morality that we have with certain drugs, and, and accept it as a substance that has been used for a very long time, yeah. and works for some people. And if it's not for you, hey, it's not for you. But you know, you shouldn't be mad about it, I guess. That's my main point. And we should explore it more and really uh, look into the facts and the reality about psilocybin uh, as opposed to just, you know, oh my God, this guy sent me a gram of shrooms. What
0: am I going to do? I mean, I, yeah, I'm going to give Dana shit for me. not putting Johnny and I on his email, on his mailing list. I, I think
4: David Eby might have had a little taste. David Eby, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was in those uh, gotta, indie rock bands. Didn't he do the vocals for those indie rock bands? Well, and back he's got to do,
0: he's got to, as former health minister, now the premier, he's got to do his research. He's got to know what he's talking about. So, okay, <laughs> so we have it. So, Lock It, Johnny, if you want to just send that out from our official accounts, uh, Mo Amir. Points the
3: finger at David Eby as the most likely
0: <laughs> to have crushed
3: shrooms he, over the holiday I break. will correct you there. He was not the health minister. Oh, what he was, was he the, again? Uh, the attorney general and the minister for housing. And I think the Thank minister you. overseeing casinos. Thank you. Uh, so so not a related field. So your premise is off. So no, I did, not, off. I did it not endorse that uh, suggestion, Adrian Dix. Dix I was made. thinking of. Sorry. Yeah. Well, his his wife,
4: his wife's a doctor, right? So she could probably she probably advise them. Well, you can, do can take you, this much. And...
0: You're going into our deep dive. We have like we have the book, we have the background around all the politicians you know we talked about. If
3: one BCMLA did come out and was like, listen, yeah, I totally had that ground of shrooms, I would just want to interview them and they be like, How that. did it go? Just tell me how it went. Was it a good trip? Was it a bad trip? Yeah. How did you feel the next day? And I'm sure it'd be quite illuminating, and especially to hear it from someone of authority. Uh, I think it would be interesting
0: I don't think we're there yet, do you?
3: No, of course not
0: <laughs> No, you'd have to be
3: But we do f- have, so so here's the thing In Vancouver, if you're not aware, in Vancouver We do have magic mushroom shops In the same way that we had like illegal cannabis Back in the uh, 90s stores.
0: you had those
3: maybe but i mean they're they're a lot more ubiquitous now
0: i mean the cannabis um, shops like oh I, the I, cannabis, yeah yeah, yeah. when yeah, i was exactly, going to university yeah. there in in the late 90s you could go downtown vancouver and there was a whole district of coffee shops people were just blazing i couldn't i, I was sure I'm, just, I'm sure you just this, walked
3: by i just Ryan. i was there
0: doing research <laughs> and uh and, and and i was coming from alberta where you know it's just like basically people crushed grasshopper and pilsner and stuff like that there was no cannabis sure. cafes and it blew yeah. my mind uh it's wild yeah. to think that was 30 years ago but i interrupted you Go ahead.
3: No. So my my point is, and this is why I had Kyla on. I mean, you kind of uh, segued into this with with her. This is why I had Kyla on because... I just needed to ask her like listen there's all these storefronts that sell magic mushrooms and psilocybin like how is this legal they have business licenses they have operating licenses from Vancouver Coastal Health how is this possible and I would I would urge people to go check out that segment but but the short answer is uh it's not that hard to get a business license um and the reality is is that for the police to kind of crack down on these shops uh it's it it costs too much without any real benefit to the greater community.
0: Yeah. It, it, like pick your battles is, yeah. is number one. And I see,
3: it'll be interesting
0: to see what happens with the, the, the sort of the, I don't want to say branding is not the right word, but let's say the public conversation or the presentation of shrooms, shrooms, um, over the next few years, because there, are, we talked to Dr. Peter Silverman. He's he's an entrepreneur uh, and a psychiatrist, Mo, based out of Edmonton. He was on the show a couple of years ago. Um, we'll mm-hmm. have to revisit that. I mean, he's been doing amazing, innovative work uh, on psilocybins. Like that's like kind of I, I, I'm out of my depth here, but it's basically psilocybins like is, is kind of like the, the the active component, as I understand it, in so-called magic mushrooms. This is, but yeah. they're being used to treat. Uh, mental health issues, PTSD, you've been wise to point out it's not for everybody. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people experiencing uh, mental health mm-hmm. challenges go take a big handful of mushrooms. That's probably a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but there is a conversation, especially in light of the opioid crisis, especially in light of a, a ton of factors around the potential that natural remedies or traditional medicines could have. Uh, you know, Historically through time, they've been utilized. But look what happened with cannabis nobody really called it cannabis 10 years ago right we called it marijuana for starters weed pot mm-hmm. grass you know et cetera, et cetera. and as the public attitude changed if you want to first of all have legislation work in your favor you want something to become legalized if you want there to be an opportunity a legitimate opportunity to, for you know to to facilitate billions of dollars in investment and economic activity and employment and all of these types of things they can't be called magic mushrooms. They can't be called shrooms. <laughs> like we're going to see a slow evolution of how people, and psilocybin is a start. Um, you hear a lot of people, I don't know, in your friend circle, certainly in mine, uh, people, and some of them that you at least uh, expect talking about microdosing as a strategy for their own yeah. mental health and wellness. So I do see it happening. And I'd be curious to see where we're at in I don't know. This stuff can happen faster than five years from now. I think it's a lot more
3: common. I think it's a lot more common than we give it credit for. Right? Like, uh-huh. and again, if it's if it's a, if it's foreign to you, that's totally fine and cool. And again repeating myself for any hallucinogenic drug but but especially mushrooms uh, it is not for everyone right yeah. but um but i do think um it is quite common certainly here in vancouver again i don't know what it's like in alberta but when you have these storefronts um when you have uh certain beaches in vancouver that are synonymous for people uh selling mushroom chocolates uh it's it's around right and, and it's a thing and You know, it's better, I think, for the government to step in and and regulate it as as they have with cannabis than to just have it completely in the black market where you don't necessarily know what what you're buying or or what the dosage is. Right. So uh, I I think. For a lot of drugs, any, any sort of regulation um, is always a good thing. And and of course, we saw this with alcohol, too. You know, people used to die in, in the prohibition era. People used to die from alcohol poisoning or they'd get really sick. And it was only once government, again, stepped in, regulated it, uh, created rules around it, um, that that it became pretty mainstream. Right. And, and not not looked down on in that same way.
0: Mo, it's always such a pleasure to connect with you. Uh, you're doing an amazing job. People can check out this is vancolor.com and they can find you at vancolor. Uh, they'll find you on basically all the social media platforms. Keep up Please. the great work. Yeah. We love checking in with you. Maybe you and I do a live stream sometime. Maybe we do it for our patrons or something like that. You and I, uh, Johnny, can join us, uh, crush a few grams of shrooms and just see what happens. <laughs>
3: uh sure yeah let's do that (laughs) i mean
0: that's a verbal contract and we will hold you to it thanks
3: mo thank you ryan always a pleasure all right buddy do you think you
4: would still be able there's a lot of that uh, would be a horribly produced show can we
0: can we take a can we take your wide shot and just uh, for the people watching on youtube remind them of all the flashing lights and buttons and levers in front of you and i wonder if you were if you were really on a uh, if you were really on a a a, 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 a trip if you were really on a trip, you think you'd still be able to navigate Heck all those no. blinking it's lights and It's hard for buttons.
4: me on a day when I haven't gotten sleep. And you know when your vision's a little blurry, yeah, yeah. when you haven't got a lot of yeah. sleep? I can only imagine. But psilocybin's, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but like, she, she'll probably kill me for it. But just my partner, Jatinder, you know, her mother passed away. She had a hard time dealing with it and you know she went to a doctor tried to get some prescription medication the side effects were horrible and she found refuge in yep. thc cbd microdosing these are things that can really help people and are alternatives, not necessarily the go-to. Like, yes, go to a doctor, get a recommendation, try medications, but these are alternatives that can really help people.
0: Yeah, um, I appreciate this from Ken. We'll just say it again. Ken says people need to be very careful using psilocybins alone, of and he's right. Especially, he says, especially if you have mental health issues. I would say the same thing oh, about yeah. cannabis. If you have mental health issues, you should talk to your doctor, but it says in your family background, it says they need to be used in a safe space with support if necessary. And that is true. hundred percent. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, it it, it can go sideways. Mushrooms (laughs) can go sideways. And people that know. THC can
4: go sideways. No, for sure. But but, 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 THC, (laughs) well,
0: geez. Dude, I had
4: some edibles two Christmases ago, and it was not a good time. I feel like. It was not a good time.
0: You've just touched on something that's also important to note, is that with cannabis, Um, smoking it or vaping it versus edibles is is a huge difference. (laughs) Uh, I was talking to somebody over the weekend. Um, People that know, people that use cannabis and people that are into edibles will be able to meet me on this level and understand the significance of this number. Uh, A friend of mine inadvertently consumed 140 milligrams worth of gummies over the holidays and was basically comatose that's like it it was not it was not funny it was not good it was he he was the 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 dosage of the of the gummies was misrepresented to him and it was a fucking nightmare for this guy so like it's not funny when that happens i mean some people will laugh when they hear that (laughs) and i can tell you he's still alive (laughs) he's still with us i don't need
4: to laugh which
0: is good but like wow
4: i took 30 milligrams which is a a lot christmases ago and it was it was, and I'm someone who used to. When you were talking about Vancouver, late '90s, early 2000s, yeah. oh my gosh, dude, going there was like, it was like wonderland. Especially you, if you walk into from a cafe because you oh, were yeah. used to everything being 100. Like, I was from Ontario. You, you know. could walk into a cafe, buy a tea, buy a joint, sit there and drink it. I'm someone who used to use cannabis a lot. Do not, hardly ever, like only you know every now over yeah. the holidays. My wife was like, let's indulge. But I'm someone who had that effect. It it doesn't make me have fun anymore and that's fine people's you know tastes change and your body changes but definitely with with ingestibles yeah. that can be I'm so glad your friends okay that sounds yeah. like the scariest well and,
0: and it was at a 140 corp- it, it, it was at a corporate event imagine that <laughs> So, the, I'm, not so I'm not telling any more details. I'm not telling any more details here. I mean, some of you are saying like, you know, look at 80s. Fanify says, and here I am unable to tolerate caffeine. Some of you are sharing how CBD has, uh, and CBG uh, is helping you with things like insomnia. I'll just reiterate as well. You know, talk to your doctor, do your research, be smart about it. Um, David pointing out that in Vancouver, you can just call a number and get mushrooms delivered. He says delivered right to your door. It's that so-called gray market, whatever they call it in Vancouver. It's been that way forever. And for ages, Justin says that ketamine seems to be the new "it" drug. He says he says especially among tech bros in Silicon Valley. Of course, probably the the reason that most people uh, yeah. have been hearing about ketamine recently. Uh, the, you know, the passing, of course, of Matthew Perry, uh, he, he drowned in his hot tub, and, that and also can be dangerous. Have you too. seen Elon Musk being called to the carpet <laughs> by his board? Uh, they're suspecting yeah. that his drug use is uh, interfering. You know, we
4: played that. It's clip. so great you're bringing up played, Elon. The,
0: well, we played that clip. Um, a while ago This is pre-holidays Of Elon Musk Telling the CEO of Disney To go fuck himself It
4: seems like someone Who's in a bit of Well and people distress. were saying
0: And people that use Ketamine in particular That people that use You know those types of drugs I'm, I'm, I've never been the chemical uh, Sort uh, Say mm-hmm. that the minute that they saw him doing that interview, in the of, minute that they heard those comments, they were like, he's fucked on something. Bit of a cable. Um, I would recommend, and and uh, Justin, I wonder if Justin listened to this episode as well. Um, the, the, uh, the podcast uh, with uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, Pivot, uh, is uh, really, really one of the podcasts that I enjoy. Mm. And they do, so Kara Swisher's brother, I didn't know this, is a physician. Uh, sounds like he's a surgeon. Yeah. They bring him on to talk about ketamine. And he says... Uh, And again, take it for what it's worth. Listen to the podcast, educate yourself, talk to your doctor. He says that ketamine is, in in the world of anesthesia, arguably the greatest invention that humanity has ever come up with. He says that (laughs) ketamine is a very useful drug. He says that when it's dosed properly and used properly, uh, ketamine is a safe drug. And he says he uses it in his clinic. He says he uses it in the OR on a daily basis. But... That doesn't mean that it's safe to all pound it up and snort it when you don't know what's going on. And and, and Justin's right. I mean, ketamine is becoming more and more prevalent and you'll hear Mm -hmm. more and more about it. And people don't seem to hide it either. Like, you know, you, you talk to people and it's like, you know, how was your weekend? Great, man. It was on ketamine. We had a great, we're on ketamine tonight. We're, on, we're getting Jeez. ketamine. For, you're kind of going, oh, it's kind of interesting to just be throwing it yeah. out there. Um, if what we're saying is lighting a fire under you or prompting a story, we'd always love to hear from you to know how these interviews, these conversations are landing. Uh, you can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com anytime. Uh, this episode wouldn't happen without the support of our friends at Friesen Brothers who have a very timely announcement. Of course, we're talking about affordability, the cost of living. That includes groceries. I wanted to let you know that this week, uh, if you check out the weekly flyer at Friesen.com, that's F-R-E-S-O-N.com, uh, customers can mix and match a whole bunch of items through the store with a two for $10 promotion. It could be fresh Alberta chicken breast and Cara oranges. Uh, you could go with fresh baked uh, in-store muffins or and blueberries or maybe pair up sausages and cheese. You get the idea. There's a ton of different options for you. All two for $10 products are marked with a special sign or sticker so it's easy to find them at any of The 16 locations across the province. Again, check out the weekly flyer at Friesen.com or visit them in-store. Friesen Brothers is Alberta Grown and Alberta-owned. At California Closets, they're going to do everything that they can, and trust me, it's a lot, to make sure that your New Year's resolution happens. We're talking about decluttering, getting organized with a custom closet or a storage solution, maybe a few of them through your home. You know that, of course, there's that guest room that has so much potential, could be repurposed as a home office, but you don't know what to do with the bed. It's always in the way. What about a Murphy bed? How about a beautiful display for some of your favorite items, your watches, your cufflinks, your jewelry in the closet you'll never want to leave. Or what about the garage, getting the garden hoses and the extension cords out of the way so when you change tires over in the spring, you're not tripping everywhere? Starts with a free design consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. If you're going to be investing in your outdoor space and you're hoping to entertain people, have friends, neighbors, family over this summer, you're going to want to talk to Eden Landscaping today. Get the design process started. They bring outdoor spaces to life. As a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You want ultra-modern? They can do it. You want natural beauty? They can do it. Stunning stonework? You bet. Work with Eden Landscaping. The number one reason? They're great listeners. I can tell you firsthand, we've hired them and we are thrilled with the outcome. You'll find them online at landscape Edmonton. CA
4: Also, likes how you were talking about the juxtaposition of people's opinions on Elon. I know we got to go here, but I think it's so funny. I was li- talking about this yesterday with my wife. Like people on the left or people with liberal opinions, you know, maybe they drive a Tesla, but now, like you said, they're kind of like they're grimacing at how Elon's acting, how Twitter has gone crazy with X, and it's an open. You know, shit storm. But then on the right, you've got people who are like, yeah, yeah, we love Elon, free speech. But then they hate electric cars and they put up videos of, you know, Tesla trucks stuck in the snow, etc. Right. It's right. so funny how people are on both sides of the issue with him.
0: Why don't we wrap with a comment here from Tracy on the live chat? And it's landed with me very strongly. Um, and this may be news to those of you listening on the podcast. Tracy says, I love tuning in and seeing the holiday decorations. She says, I sadly <laughs> took mine down last Friday. You and I are having, you are debating were debating this. We, are. we, we don't we're know exactly sure. where we land. I, I feel like, you know, we've, we've got these like silver balls on the interview table. That to me feels like it's time for those to trees go. These are
4: up here. But we got
0: the silver <laughs> trees behind me. That feels like we can get some more mileage out of those. Maybe until yeah. the end of. January. And I think we can leave our lit trees up if we take Mm -hmm. the Christmas decorations off. Yeah. Because then it's just a winter scape.
4: Well, I asked a guest who was in the studio yesterday. I'm like, is this a big faux pas? Like, are we doing something wrong? She was like, no, this is great. And she knows what she's talking
0: about. So this this, this is, but you can tell where both of us land on this because Johnny's the one saying to me, so just casually floating. the So when, 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 Johnny, because the way you frame it, you say, when would you like my help in taking down (laughs) the Christmas decor? (laughs) And, And then you can tell who's the one that's that's still hanging on by his fingertips i what can i say i just it feels festive in here and i love it coming up on tomorrow's show we're going to be joined in studio by some of the players involved in this contentious conversation in our home city of edmonton as homeless encampments are being dismantled by police people are losing their possessions losing their belongings as the temperatures are dropping below minus 30 with wind chills. so what's the solution we're going to try to find out plus peter burgess a freezing father fundraising in memory of his daughter he'll join us live from his campo we'll see you then
1: real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook chivers account coordinator lauren sterlego Human Resources, Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duveti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.